Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. This morning, we're going to consider the priority of God's Word in the lives of leaders and also in the lives of the church. Now, we're in the middle of a series on membership. And basically, we just talked about church membership and the fact that it's biblical, that it is defining, clearly defining our relationship with our leaders and with the church. That in membership, one of the things that was significant, we talked about this last week, is that in order to be a member, one of the things God calls us to do as a part of the church family is to follow leaders. And God tells leaders to care for people in the church. And so that's one of the reasons for church membership is that we need to identify our leaders and we need to let our leaders know who we are. I loved the discussion that happened this week about this whole thing of leadership and submitting and following leaders. One of the life group discussions basically was, so how exactly does that work in the sense of following leaders? What if you have a leader that tells you to disobey God? And we have examples in scripture uh, in the book of Acts chapter four, verse 19, and also Acts 5:29. These were discussed in this life group where ultimately everybody, every leader and every person follows Christ. We never let a person stand between us and God or make decisions that God has called us to make. Um, we're called to follow Christ. Our leaders are called to follow Christ. And when we consider that, um, you know, even the passage that calls us to obey our leaders, if you look at Hebrews 13, 7, it says, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. A leader's job is not to step into your life and start saying, practically, here's how you'll parent. This is the thing you're going to do. Here's where you're going to work. Um, those are not the decisions that leaders make for you. Leaders teach you what God's word says, and they model how to follow and obey what God says. And then that's followed by this at Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do, do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Is there ever a time that a church leader might step into your life and say, you need to quit your job? And I would say there are times. If you have serial affairs and you're an alcoholic and you work as a bartender in a strip club, <laughs> your pastor should step into your life and say, it is time for you to find a new job. As leaders, uh, we are called to do certain things. Um, we, are, we are called to teach people God's word. We are called to set an example. We are called to encourage and support and love and care for. And if somebody wanders away, we're supposed to go back and get them. When somebody's caught in the trespass of a sin, we should step in. And those are the places that we exercise spiritual authority. It's not come to me and let me make decisions for you in your life. And so one of the things that is so important, and it's why we're talking about it this week, we're going to talk about how God calls us to be people of the word. 
Um, we follow Christ, the church follows Christ, and we do that by understanding and obeying what God has said in Scripture. And so that's what we're going to be doing. Another discussion that happened, and I love this, uh, in, the, in the meetup group, one of the, the mug meetup groups, they talked about this story that took place in 1 Kings 13. And, and here's kind of a story that happens in the Old Testament. By the way, this is one of the reasons we need to be reading the Old Testament, because we learn so many things from it. And in 1 Kings 13, God tells this prophet, go speak to a king, give him a message, but go straight there, deliver the message and leave. Don't stop, don't eat, don't go anywhere, don't do anything. And so the king, he goes and he delivers this message and the king says, hey, pray for me, praise for them. There's all these things. You can read the story, you find out what happened. And the king says, hey, stay here, I'll feed you, I'll do all these things. And the prophet says, no way, not staying. God told me I have to go straight home. And so he leaves, and on his way home, another prophet comes to him, a lying prophet. And he says, hey, I'm a prophet. God speaks through me, and God told me to get you and tell you to come eat at my house. So he goes back, he eats at the guy's house, and when he's done eating, that prophet gets up and says, you disobeyed God. You're not going to be buried with your fathers because you're going to die. You know, he just tells me your life's going to end. The guy leaves his house, and on his way home, a lion kills him because he disobeyed God. We don't ever let a person tell us to disobey what God has said. Um, because we follow Christ, we don't follow people. In, in, in religion, there are people who were killed for translating the Bible into a language that the average person could read. There are whole religions that say you can read the Bible if you want, but you can't actually understand it we as the leaders are the only ones who can understand. So even if you read something and you think it means something, you don't know that. We will tell you what it means. Now, that is an idea that is foreign to Scripture. Our leaders need to be examples in following Scripture. And as people, we need to understand. I'll give you another example of that that is so powerful. Um, the, the Bereans were more noble-minded than the people in Thessalonica because when Paul was preaching to them, they received God's word. They, they were not arguing against it. They were not rebelling against it. But as they received it, they studied the Old Testament, which was the scriptures they had, to see if what Paul was saying was right. They evaluated what they were being taught by scripture, which means it's not just leaders who are to be people of the word. It is every Christian. So uh, we're going to be talking about God's word this morning and the fact that we are a people who are devoted to God's word. When you look at the starting of the church in Acts chapter 2, um, this is a passage, Acts 2.41. So those who had received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. We covered that in our very first message. They were keeping track of who was becoming a believer and joining the church. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. Next week, we're going to really tear that that whole section apart in the following verses and just consider what does God call us to do. But today I want to focus on verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The church 
was committed to God's word. And the apostles were giving scripture. And so they were devoted to that. They were explaining the Old Testament. They were giving new scripture. And so let's look at um, our passage here this morning. And we're going to consider two things. God's word is inspired. And we're going to spend most of our time on that point. We're going to talk about what does it mean that God's word is inspired. The second thing we're going to consider is that God's word is sufficient to make us spiritually complete. Not only is God's word inspired, but it's powerful. Within it is everything we need to be the people that God wants us to be. So 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, let's look at this. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. Now, the book of 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul writes to Timothy. Uh, He knows that he's going to be executed, and he's writing to this son of his in the faith. And there's a sense of urgency, and he just says, Timothy, I love you. And Timothy, you need to, you're, you're feeling timid, you're feeling, um, you're feeling intimidated by all the pressure, the difficulties in life. And he just says to him, stir up that gift that's in yourself. So he encourages him, he reminds him of his salvation. Timothy, you are not saved because of your works, you're saved because of Christ. He encourages him to focus on Christ. And then he just says, you need to, in the midst of all this social turbulence, you need to focus on God's word. You need to teach it. You need to be devoted to it. And that's where this passage comes that we're going to look at this morning. So he says this, 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's one of the things that we need to remember is that many false religious leaders, they do deceive people, but many of them are themselves deceived. They truly believe the things that they're telling other people, which is different from God's word. Satan has deceived them and they pass on that deception. And so that's that's where we live. That's, That's our culture. Verse 14, this strong contrast Paul now says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Timothy learned it. He personalized it. He firmly believed it, knowing from whom you learned it. And this is very important in verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. From the time Timothy was a little kid, his mom and dad were teaching him. He was acquainted. He understood the sacred writings. That's the Old Testament. And by the way, um, as Christians, you know, sometimes we struggle to understand what to do with the Old Testament. There are so many people that claim promises that were not made to them. They're confused by all the things that are stated in the Old Testament. But here's the thing I want you to know. God specifically gave revelation in order. And actually, in the same way, he told all the New Testament believers, hey, here's how you understand the Old Testament. These are the things that have changed. These are the things that are different. Everybody in the book of Acts needed to learn that. 
And so as you read the Old Testament and you understand it properly, and then as you read the New Testament, you know what to do with the Old Testament. And so um, many times people misunderstand the Old Testament because they're not people of the Word. They haven't read the whole thing. They just kind of read bits and pieces, and they don't understand how it all fits together. And so we need to be people that understand that, and we need to be teaching God's Word to our kids. That's one of our main jobs as a parent is to make sure they understand what God says. It's what we're doing in Sunday school. We're not just getting kids together and trying to entertain them and have them make a craft. No, we want them to know what God says about life. We want them to understand God and understand salvation. And that's something that's communicated through the entire Bible. And then he goes on. You've known these things from childhood. You've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You know, salvation doesn't come because we tell our kids or we pressure our kids or we make our kids want to be Christians. Salvation comes when God works powerfully through his word in someone's life. And so that's what we want to do. We want to put God's word into people's lives. That's true for our kids. It's also true just in our ministry in general. God's word is the power that changes people. And so God's word leads to salvation. And by the way, that's what the church is about. We're not here to just try to make people's life better. We're here to help people genuinely know God, to be forgiven, to be saved, and then to live that out. So that's what the church is about. The second thing, if, as we continue on, is we're going to see that, that all Scripture is God-breathed. Let's look at the next words there in verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. That's pretty powerful when we think about the ramifications of what it means that Scripture is breathed out by God. And I want to point out a few things. All Scripture. Do you know what all Scripture means? It means the whole thing collectively. It also means every individual part of it. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, some people... Um, they kind of struggle, but I just want to tell you that when Jesus was here, he affirmed the whole Old Testament when he was here on earth. And did you know that during the writing of the New Testament, more than half of it in the New Testament was identified as Scripture? Did you guys know that? So I've heard a lot of people say, oh yeah, the New Testament, these men, they wrote things, they never intended it to be seen as God's Word. So let me just show you a couple verses. So 2 Peter 3.15, and I always throw this in. I mentioned it a few times, but do you remember when the Apostle Paul confronted Peter for being a hypocrite? Well, Peter says this later, and you just see Peter loved Paul. And he says this after he was confronted, but he just says, and that's not the point of this, but I just want you to notice that. We love each other, and that includes when people are shepherding us. But he says this, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. So Peter says of Paul's writings, some of the things Paul says are hard to understand. 
Um, And that's talking about Scripture. And then he says, um, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction. There are many people who can take Scripture and they can read it and they can tweak it and they can twist it and they can try to make it say something that it doesn't really say. And when people do that, it leads to their destruction. There are many people who approach the Bible, um, they approach it um, like, um, I've lost the word I was looking for, but they approach it superstitiously. They think it's like magic words, like a chant, and they just kind of read it to people. Or they make things up that it doesn't say, and they just think, I can read this, I can make it say whatever I want, and they believe that's true. It's not what you twist scripture into saying that is God's word. It is what God intended when he wrote it that is his word. If we misunderstand scripture, we don't have God's word. If we misinterpret it, we don't have God's word. We have to understand it properly and correctly, the way God intended it to be understood. And then it says, the ignorant, the unstable, they twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. That phrase puts Paul's writing, it is scriptures. They twist what Paul says, and they twist the other scriptures as well. So Peter calls Paul's writings scripture. The apostle Paul, in this next verse, 1 Timothy 5, 8, for the scripture says, you shall not mother the, uh, muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain. That's a quote from Leviticus. And then he goes on, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do you know who wrote that? Luke. So if you take Luke's writings and Paul's writings, that is 52% of the New Testament. So the Bible in the New Testament, while it was being written, identifies 52% of it specifically as God's word, as inspired scripture. And by the way, the rest of it is too. And so that's God's word. Now, how did we get God's word? How did God breathe this out? And there are a lot of examples. God wrote it with his own hand. That's the Ten Commandments. God actually wrote it. He dictated it many times in the Old Testament. It says, thus says the Lord, where God would go and say to a prophet something, and then that prophet would actually write down what God wrote, what God told him. And then God also moved men to write. The Bible tells us this in 2 Peter 1, verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. So we don't get to interpret Scripture however we decide to interpret it. We don't get to, it's, many people will say things like, well, what does this passage mean to you? And what does it mean to me? And most of the time when we say that, what we're really meaning is how does this apply to you? And how does this apply to me? But in all, our culture, we have many people who think they get to decide what it means. No, you don't get to decide what it means. God decided what it means. It's your job to figure out what God meant and then how to apply it to your life. And the reason that no scripture, we don't get to just try to figure out what it means for ourselves or change the meaning is because verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Now think about that. There's nothing in scripture 
that a man, a mere human, decided that he would write. Um, it says in th this instead, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So everything that any uh, Bible writer wrote was the Holy Spirit in them writing through them. So Paul talks as Paul. He talks about his own experiences. He talks things that happened and things that he learned. He gives people, he tells people about marriage. He gives all kinds of instructions about all kinds of things. But every single thing that he wrote, the Holy Spirit was moving him to write. No human remembers everything correctly. No human sees everything correctly. But when the Bible writers wrote, they wrote with their own personality through their own experiences. But the Holy Spirit had them write exactly what God wanted them to write, preserved them from any error. No Bible writer ever remembered anything incorrectly. Do you know why? Because <laughs> God doesn't remember things incorrectly. No Bible writer ever introduced an error. Why? Because God doesn't make mistakes. The Holy Spirit wrote Scripture through people. So when we say that God's Word is inspired or God breathed, that has significant, a significant impact on how we see scripture. So number one, it's inerrant. That means it has no mistakes in it. And that means every single word. In Galatians chapter three, verse 16, Paul makes an argument based on whether or not a word is singular or plural. So every word is exactly perfect. Psalm 119, verse 116 says, The sum of your word is truth. So every detail is right, and the collective understanding of God's word is, is right. Because God wrote it. That's not surprising. And here's the reason. If God wrote it, then the Bible flows from God's character. And one of the things we know from God's character is that God always tells the truth. He never lies. Um, Hebrews 6.18 says it is impossible for God to lie. Titus 1.2 says God who cannot lie. John 17.17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So God always tells the truth. And we know, um, you and I sometimes, we think we're telling the truth. We're trying to tell the truth. We're not lying. But sometimes we make mistakes, right? So... Just because you get something wrong doesn't mean you're lying. You could just make a mistake. But with God, that's actually not possible because God knows everything. You know, God knows before you're born, he knows the day you're going to die. Psalm 139 just talks about how God knows every detail of your life. Before you say something, before you even think anything, God knows what you're going to say and what you're going to think before it happens. And Scripture, from the beginning to the end, makes that very clear. God's not waiting to see what will happen. God knows everything. And so since God knows everything, and since God always tells the truth, nothing he ever says is wrong. Now there is another thing that we need to consider. What if God knows everything? And what if God always tells the truth, but he actually doesn't have the ability to communicate correctly? See, we also understand that God is also all-powerful. He, there is no limit 
to God's power. He does everything he wants. He does whatever he wants. And he doesn't ask anybody for permission and nobody gets to question him. Uh, we see that in Daniel where um, God just says, I don't care what anybody thinks about anything. I do whatever I want. Nobody can say, what have you done? God has the power to communicate as well. And so scripture is an inerrant. And um, so let's just talk for a second about some things that people struggle with. Um, when you think about the Bible, it says all kinds of things. It says that God created everything out of nothing. It says that God made Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve are real people. Jesus thinks Adam and Eve are real. Uh, he talks about, um, in Romans, the gospel says, um, Paul says that you inherited sin from Adam. Um, that's, that was Adam's gift to you. Jesus' gift to you was to reverse that. So in the gospel itself, Adam has to be a real person. A lot of people think that Adam, whether or not you believe in Adam, is based only on Genesis. No, it is throughout the entirety of Scripture. How about Jonah? Was Jonah really swallowed by a whale? Well, did you know that Jesus says he connects Jonah with his death. He says in the same way that Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days, um, I'm going to be in the grave. So Jesus connects his death with Jonah. Um, all kinds of things. A worldwide flood. That's in scripture. The plagues of Egypt. All those things. God drowning the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Um, there's another one. You know, the Bible talks about um, God confirming a promise by making a shadow move backwards. Um, now, <laughs> if you think about that, that may seem simple. But why do shadows move the direction that they move? Because of the rotation of the earth. Have you thought about what would happen if all of a sudden the earth stopped and moved backwards? Like, what happens to the ocean? Like, just through momentum and things like that, that would completely wipe out the entire earth. Like, that was not a small thing. That was very significant that God did that. Um, there are so many things that are said. Um, people being raised from the dead. Uh, Elijah did that. Jesus did that. Paul did that. Peter did that. In fact, Paul preached so long that a guy fell asleep during his sermon, fell out a window... His head was broken open and like mud mixed in with his brain. And Paul went down, raised him from the dead, brought him back upstairs and finished his preaching. <laughs> so you can be glad I'm not Paul. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was born of a virgin and that he was raised from the dead. So here's the deal. Everything that the Bible says is true. And if... And this is one of the things I think is interesting. I think it's good. Hey, let's not debate whether or not Jonah was in the belly of a whale. Let's debate the resurrection of Jesus, right? Let's keep the main thing the main thing. But I just want to say this. If you don't believe Jonah was in the belly of a whale, you're not going to believe the resurrection. And if you do believe the resurrection, there's no reason you wouldn't believe everything else the Bible says. Because they're all miracles, Really, it's, it kind of depends on your starting place. If God made the world out of nothing, if God decided, I'm going to create planets, I'm going to make gravity, how am I going to make the principles of life? Work? I'm going to make heavy things sink and light things float. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create gravity. I'm going to create momentum. I'm going to make all of those things out of nothing, and I will define every natural law. Now, if God makes all that stuff out of nothing, if God made fish, God made people to need air, God created oxygen, is it difficult for God to say, I created all these natural laws and I'm going to interrupt them? I'm going to actually stop the earth, rotate it backwards, but the ocean's not going to go anywhere and nobody's going to actually notice anything because I control all of that. So if you actually believe that there's a God that made everything out of nothing, there's not a single thing in Scripture that's hard to, hard to believe. Now, if you do have a starting place, there is no God, there are no miracles, and we must explain everything without God's intervention. Well, certainly in that case, if that's your starting place, well, then you won't believe any of those things. I remember a story of a guy sharing the gospel with a friend, and the guy just says, yeah not going to become a Christian. I could never believe that Jonah was in the belly of a whale. And uh, so he was just kind of ministering to him. Eventually he shows back up and he talks to him. And the guy says, hey, you're not going to believe what happened. I became a Christian. And he just says, well, well, what about Jonah being swallowed in a whale? Did you ever figure that out? Like, like, what'd you do with that? And he goes, yeah, I don't know. But if God says that, it must be true. See, when we understand who God is, miracles aren't hard. But I would just say this, if God makes mistakes, if God cannot communicate scientific details correctly, if he can't get historical details right, why would we trust him on anything else? If the Bible's full of mistakes and if it's the product of a man, then why would we look to it for spiritual guidance and have faith and trust in what God says? And so the thing is, it all goes together. And I think these are things that we need to think through, that we need to wrestle through. But I would just say it starts with, what is your view of God? And if God truly is everything that he says he is, then the Bible is without error. Now, if the Bible is without error, it is also authoritative. What that means is that if God writes it, and if it has no mistakes in it, then whatever God says in the Bible is truth. Whatever God says, we accept and we obey. Nobody has the option of looking through Scripture and saying, I accept this, but I don't accept that. No, we approach Scripture. It's the Word of God. He owns us. He owns the world. Whatever He says, we do and we obey. And so Scripture is authoritative. Um, Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, I mentioned this earlier. All of the inhabitants, inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he, that's God, does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? It's amazing we live in a world with people who look at scripture and think they have a right to decide what's right and what's wrong. No, God determines that. We submit to that. So here's the second thing. Um, God's word's inspired. That's why we obey it. It's why we believe it. It's why it's our standard of right and wrong. But here's the other thing. God's word is sufficient to make us spiritually complete. Let's read the rest of 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. It is beneficial. 
It is helpful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So it's profitable. It's God's good gift to us. God loves us, and he gave us his word. Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it is the way of death. If we try to figure out stuff for ourselves, we're in trouble. If we go what God says with what God says, that is a blessing. Second uh, Peter 1.3 says that God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own God, glory and excellence. God's given us everything that we need. Now teaching, that's right belief. God tells us what we should believe. We read scripture and that's how we know what to believe. For reproof, that is wrong belief. When a person believes the wrong thing, we go to them and say, no, what you're believing is wrong. The Bible says this. So we learn what to believe. We learn what not to believe. For correction, that's correcting wrong behavior. Because life is not just about what we believe and what we know. It's about what we do. How do we live that out? How do we practice what God has said? And so when a person's doing something they shouldn't do, we go to Scripture and we say, hey, the Bible says this. If some man's yelling in an unloving way to his wife, the leader should go and say, no, you need to live with your wife in a sensitive way, in an understanding way, in a caring way, in a loving way. The way Jesus loves the church is the way you're supposed to love your wife. And, and if you have a wife who says, I don't care about my husband, I don't care what he says or what he thinks, the leaders and the whole body of Christ should say no in the same way the church follows Christ. You should love and follow your husband and encourage his leadership. And we put with that all the same conditions that we would put on following a church leader. Um, no, nobody disobeys God because somebody in their life tells them to. And so it's for correction, wrong behavior, for training in righteousness. That's right behavior. Why? So that the man of God will be complete. That's adequate, capable, proficient, and equipped. That means you have every resource that you need for every good work. And by the way, this is what we do with each other. And we actually do it starting with the time that somebody's a little kid. So in Sunday school, you got a six-year-old who says, I'm a Christian. I prayed to receive Christ. So we say, okay, well, if you're a Christian, what does that mean about how you handle your toys? That means you share because you care more about other people than yourself. And we train and we ingrain starting at a very young age. If you're a Christian, this is how you think about life. This is how you think about people. If you got a little kid saying something mean to somebody else, we say, no, wait, if you know the Lord, we don't talk to people like that because they're made in God's image. And so we start from a very young age training people to be who God says they should be. And by the way, that's a job of parents. It's a job of the church. And we don't just do it with three-year-olds and six-year-olds because are they the only ones who are selfish? Are they the only ones who don't share or don't do all the stuff they're supposed to do? No, we're all there, right? And we use God's word to say this is who we should be, and we're helping each other. That, by the way, is discipleship. 
Jesus said, go make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And so we need to learn everything Jesus says, and then we need to learn how to do everything Jesus says. And that's the purpose of the church. That's what we're doing. And so we don't follow people. We follow Christ, and we do follow our leaders. We do follow the authorities that God has put in our life. But that is subject to the leadership and the authority of Christ. And so that's what we do. And as a church, we're committed to God's word. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your kindness and your love. Uh, Lord, help us to value and study your word, to trust what it says, to submit to it. Lord, help us to approach its study with diligence. Help us not to treat Scripture superstitiously. Lord, thank you that you will guide, protect, and comfort us through your word. In your name, amen.